0: Greetings, Rare Ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries, from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones, and if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always-so-good conversation. Bye for now. Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Podcast. And this is your host, Joanne, and I am back with another brilliant episode. And this week, joining us from Nigeria, we have Benedicta. Welcome, Benedicta, to the podcast.
1: Hello, Joanne. Hello, everyone. It's exciting to be here.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I'm really happy to have you here. It's, this topic is a really interesting topic. And I'm glad that you're here to discuss it with us. So I'll call you Benny. I know you, you're like That's being called fine. Benny, right? <laughs> so Benny, <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about you. Who's Benny?
1: Okay. Benny is um, a very ambitious young woman. And uh, she's a pharmacist by training. And um, she dreams to work with the UN. She has an interest in non-profits by non-profits i mean ngo that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about making profits so yes Mm -hmm. i love to make profits but i i love um let me say the development space humanitarian work Mm -hmm.
0: social enterprises that that too um social entrepreneurs do that kind of work too but just for profit yes yeah okay okay there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) okay so where are you from benny for example right now you're in which part of nigeria
1: i am in delta states nigeria that is south south nigeria
0: okay south south this most southern part of nigeria yes okay and is that where you grew up
1: yes i was born here in delta states grew up all had a lot of my education in delta state yes
0: Okay, now what what was it like growing up in Delta State versus, say, big cities like Abuja and Lagos?
1: Well, I, I would I would say it's it's relative to the part of Lagos or Abuja that you live. For me, growing up in Obiariko, mm-hmm. Delta State was was like having you know communal life, you, you know compound, the people going to school having children i mean th- there was this sense of community right you know, that, co- that comes with growing up in such places people looking out for you the town being small enough like everyone knows your parents
0: mm. wants to see
1: you they can identify you. i saw your daughter here you know
0: sounds everyone like where i grew up
1: on you. <laughs> sounds like
0: sounds like the kind of environment i grew up in yeah okay so that's obviously very different to coming from a big city like Lagos. Yeah. Right? right? Right,
1: right. It's also relative to the part of Lagos where you live.
0: Right, right. But yeah. which which one is busier? It's Lagos first and then Abuja, right? Lagos Lagos uh, is like, like the financial capital and Abuja yeah. is political capital. Is that correct? Is that how it works? Yes.
1: Okay. You can
0: say that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So today you're going to talk to us about period poverty. Now, before we jump into the topic, tell us about the business that you're building right now.
1: Okay. I'm working to build a business on sustainable menstruation. Um, By that, I mean menstrual products or period products that are sustainable, economic, cost-effective and eco-friendly.
0: Okay. Can you tell me about the the business that you're currently building, Benny?
1: Okay. So I am building a business around sustainable menstrual products. By that, I mean menstrual products that are sustainable. That means they are more than one time use. They are eco-friendly and then they are cost-effective. Now, th- this business model is meant to fill in the gaps that the conventional disposable pads have created. Mm-hmm. A lot of people may may view this conventional period product as being convenient, you know, and so on. But on the long run, it does have a lot of adverse effects on the on the earth and even the user. Mm. From Feeling of filling up of landfills to so contributing to plastic pollution, and then being non-biodegradable. So women reacting to them, having irritation, toxic toxic shock syndromes, and so on. The list just goes on.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: my business aims to, you know, build and fill the gaps that these conventional products have created.
0: Okay, sustainable period products. Yes. So how, how, where, or how did you, how did you get your interests or what sparked your interest in, in this um, industry, in this field?
1: Okay. Um, let's just say I've been around too many girls in my life. I have mm-hmm. more sisters than brothers. And then Do you
0: have I have a big family, Benny. <laughs> I,
1: well, I have a brother mm-hmm Okay, well, and and then another stepbrother. And then I have lots of sisters, like two, three, four, six sisters. Mm. And then I attended an all-girls boarding school. That's like six years of my high school education, all with girls. And people have to resort to using um, rags or the, the conventional tissue paper. And then when you move around the school, you have drops of pads everywhere. It used to be so annoying and irritating. And I'm sure... The male it teachers sounds, we, it we sounds like
0: it's not very hygienic as well.
1: Yes. True.
0: Mm.
1: So, gr- growing up with this is, is part of my interest in, in the topic of period. I mean, like, what is happening to our bodies? I remember walking up to my my um, biology teacher mm-hmm. in uh, senior secondary school once to ask her, our house mistresses keep telling us not to take Sugary foods or sweetened foods um, just during our periods or just before our periods. Can you tell me the relationship between sugar and the period crowns and everything? And mm. my teacher couldn't tell me. She was honest enough. So I began studying and reading about the topic right from that age. And this passion went with me on to the, my undergraduate days where my undergraduate thesis or project was on menstruation. Mm. So ever since then, I've been trying to wrap my head around how I can improve this and ensure that girls have access to the students.
0: Right. So it's just something that you've you've seen growing up and you figured, okay, yeah. this is a big problem that needs to be solved. Now, you mentioned uh, asking your biology teacher about this. In the all boarding school, what was it like in terms of education around periods where Were there classes? Did you talk about, I mean, obviously there's regular biology classes, but were they classes where there was a focus on periods, your body, hygiene, what's happening? Like just generally, was that a normal thing or was that quite taboo?
1: I guess part of the curriculum. curriculum, You know, being a girl's school and having um, lots of, we had more female teachers than male teachers. They, They felt it was just, um, that the onus was on on them to train us to become better girls and better mothers. So they went Mm. out of their way to teach, yes. And then being um, in a boarding school of that standard, as at that time, it actually, you know, gave us some uh, exposure to big brands like Always Pad. I remember when I was in GSS2, and then even when I became a senior student, um, Always Pad keeps coming to my school every year to do a sort of campaign on um, periods, how to wear your pads properly, how to wear the right bra sizes, you know, and then after which they do like, um, like a giveaway of pads. It, it, it may be like a, a repackaged form of the pad. Let's say a normal pad has, um, say, eight pieces inside. Okay, and then they give out, um, say, two or three pieces inside the pad just to encourage us and then to you know just get the conversation going about spirits But this happened like once in every year okay and then only a certain class only a a certain classes tend to um, benefit from it
0: right right now there's there are a lot of charities and and non-governmental organizations doing research around period poverty So I've read that one in 10 girls on the African continent miss school as they do not have access to period products, while half of all school girls generally on the African continent, uh, that's 50 percent, do not have access to sanitary products. So. And this isn't just africa so i don't want people who are listening to believe that this is an african problem it's actually a global problem it it's everywhere in the world it's in europe it's in the united states asia africa all over the world there's just a really big problem where women don't have and young girls don't have access to to these um products but do you believe mm-hmm. it's just about having access to products, or do you think it's just a wider cultural problem that needs to be addressed?
1: You know, it's actually more than just having a- access to the period products. Mm. There is the problem of period stigma, and then there's the problem of um, children not having the right information about periods. Now, I'm going to give you a general myth that um, parents used to tell their children in those days and even some teachers used to contribute mm-hmm. about, about um, what periods are. So when, once you have your first period, what uh, medically is called menach or menache, they tell you it's an introduction to womanhood and that from that moment, once a man touches you, you get pregnant.
0: <laughs> so with, i'm with sure a lot stories, of girls all over the world were told these little stories
1: you know like but well, we being children we don't know the difference between someone touching you and you know having intercourse with you mm. so we just believe if any guy comes close to you and touches you ooh, you're gonna get pregnant and I, I had classmates who shared with me that um A boy in their class hugs them and they go home running and crying, going to tell their mothers that they're going to get pregnant. Mm. So, you know, I I think it's about time that parents and teachers begin to give the right information to, to girls, to their children about their periods. They need the right information. We need to be able to put down the culture, you know, and then put away the stigma that comes with periods, periods are actually a natural phenomenon and everyone should view them as such.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think those things are still being said to, to girls now?
1: Well, it is possible. I, I would say probably in, in very um, rural communities, it's possible to have these, this kind of thing still going on. Um, mm. Like I, for one, I I did my compulsory one year service to the nation in northern Nigeria, and then what I saw Marvel me. I mean, these girls were not even willing to discuss with me, who's female, about their periods. They just kept pretending like they didn't know what I was talking about. And mm. kept laughing and whispering to themselves. Yes. Yeah.
0: So well, I, I think mm, culture still
1: yeah. has a, a big role to play in this.
0: Mm. I guess it's it's like we said earlier. It's still quite taboo. So people aren't comfortable having um, the, the conversation. Now, would you like to talk to us about exactly what your product is? You said it's a, a sustainable. Do you mean a reusable pads, reusable tampons, period panties? What exactly is it?
1: Okay. We're actually um, working on reusable pads. And okay. then subsequently menstrual for Cups because um, my organization is actually on uh, working on a partnership with a, a menstrual co- company
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then we are they're actually donating you know to support the project and we are looking forward to building business business um, a relationship with them in the very near future
0: okay and how are you looking to? Like, what's your strategy in terms of how are you going to, I guess, get the products to the girls once you, once you get everything off of the ground?
1: Okay. Um, the first way which I think would be really effective to go about it would be to partner with other non-profit organizations or even governmental organizations that actually um, have their focus on periods on mentoration. So if, if that's, that's partnership. So if um, my organization's office, head office, is in Delta State, for instance, instead of um, trying to wrap my head about how to reach girls in Ibadan, or in Lagos, or in Ilorin, um, we could just identify a non-profit in that area who's passionate about the same project, who's doing the same project and then we could partner with them Mm
2: -hmm.
1: donate those donate the products to them or make them buy at a subsidized price and then they can distribute to the girls and and then report back to us
0: right right. that's
1: actually what we're looking at
0: and are there a lot of um other companies or or so social enterprises ngos what have you doing what you're trying to do is it very popular in nigeria
1: well, you can say that, but um, uh, yes, there are quite a number of them who are interested in this study. Um, But I guess um, many of them are still having uh, the same challenge that I was having, that I'm still working. And I, I, I only know for myself and my organization, because I miss the challenges. We keep working and looking for you know, better ways to get things going. I remember a lot of people um, are interested in the reusable sanitary pad Mm-hmm. You know, project. But how many people are really doing it, or how many people are actually getting the quality pads across? While we're uh, doing our product sampling and um, you know, doing our research, I I won't mention the brands, but I did buy from um, one or two people in who were making the same thing in Nigeria or who were uh, selling the same product in Nigeria, and then the quality did not impress me. So I am a believer in if I'm going to get this right, then we're going to get it right well. As much as I believe in, uh, in starting small, I, I also believe in excellence. So even if it means staying a little longer to ensure that the quality of what we give to people is good enough,
0: then let it be. Mm, right. Now, you mentioned that some of the challenges that you're experiencing. Can you talk to us about those challenges? What is it like to build this kind of business?
1: Okay. Um, getting the, the materials to make the product. We did a lot of research about how to make the product. And then when we felt like we were ready, the next bottleneck we had was identifying the right materials. I, I did mention that um, we tried out... Um, some of the products that um, people in Nigeria were already making. And then we felt like the quality could have been better. So we went into the markets, the major markets, like for South, South Nigeria, one of the major markets is the, for Southern Nigeria is the the Onicha markets. And I went there with my team. We checked a couple of, tried out some materials, got them. And then they were good, but not good enough. Because even after we made them, we gave to a couple of people to try out. I even tried them out. We got feedback. And then we thought we could improve on this. We started making research. We started trying to make contact in the Lagos markets. Um, and then we, from the reports we were getting and then other, other organizations, like I said, who were having similar challenges, who were trying to do this, they also told us that they couldn't find the right products the right materials in Nigeria to make them. So now we were now torn between importing the materials, which did not seem like a very wise plan, since we were just starting and then didn't have that much capital to import the products. So um, before the COVID-19 pandemic happened, we were already um, finalizing partnerships with um, a factory in China that would produce to our specification in like more like produce like white labels. They produced our specification with our label sent down to us, and then we continue to do buy from them at um, like wholesale prices, and then we do our project sell and give out when necessary, and then subsequently grow to the point where we can now build our own and start producing locally. Because I said, we're a strong believer in excellence.
0: Okay. Now, we talked a lot about, I mean, you mentioned the NGOs you want to work with and everything that you're doing in education and schools. What is the government's position on this? And and do are there any campaigns that are driven by government? Is, are, is the government involved at all? Or tell us a little bit about that, the government's position on period poverty.
1: I don't think the government has been doing enough, you know, on that. Well, maybe um, we know how politics works. When an organization or a nonprofit is doing such project project, and um, probably the team lead does have some link or relationship to anyone in the political office, they could just come around and then maybe support. Like when, when I first started uh, my project uh, in 2017, we had um, a local government chairman, who's a woman. She came mm. around and then uh, just did, a, did some awareness and spoke and just supported with some thousand. After then, what next? I, 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 I feel like um, other African countries are doing better in that aspect because I've read of countries who have approved the measure products Should be given the the same way we have um, school feeding programs. The government did initiate school feeding programs to bath, to handle malnutrition in children. I feel that is the same way that that they can inculcate this um, period product into the curriculum. I mean, if a girl starts a period in school, instead of messing up her dress and um, having the chance of being shamed by her classmates or male counterparts she can get access to clean toilets, clean water, and in period products. That would, that would not be too much to ask. So I don't think the government is doing enough. There still needs to be
0: more work. So what, what else do you think the government should be doing?
1: I, I think, like I said, that the government should be able to, if, if taking the tax away from these products will help, then they mm-hmm. should do that okay. and then it should be it should be like in, in necessity you know i'm um, i made an application uh, yes I, I made an application just recently um for the future our future project innovation futures project and then we we uh project just qualified for the first stage and i, I just submitted application for the second tell us about your project what do you see like what do you what, what do you envision time where you lodge in a hotel and then you know when you you get there for free I, I mean I look forward to a time where I will get in there and I open the drawer and I find a pack of pad
2: mm.
1: or I find a, a, a pack of just lined up in in case our project just um, qualified for the first stage of the innovations futures project and then i just submitted the application for the second stage just yesterday and one of the questions they asked was what what vision or what vision do you have for this project if the product is is successful what what do you look forward to and i remember one of the points i raised was that I look forward to being lodged in a hotel and then in the drawer, one of the drawers of the hotel room, I open it and I find a a pack of period products, maybe a a menstrual uh, sanitary pad or a pack of menstrual cups. The same way you you walk into hotels and then you find condoms lying everywhere in their drawers.
0: Mm. It's possible for
1: for us to have, yes, to have pads.
0: You know, that's a very that's a very good point that you made because every hotel you go into even some of the really upscale five-star hotels you find condoms mm-hmm. they definitely yes. accommodate sex <laughs> and men
1: <laughs> so why don't they accommodate periods and women <laughs> that's a conversation in, we need to be having
0: because in most parts of the world women are an afterthought i mean it's changing mm-hmm. but it's changing depending on where you live you know these changes are quite slow, but yeah, that's that's a really good point that you just made. You mentioned uh, that pro- the progress we made in other African countries. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That that's really interesting.
1: Yes, I have read about the um, Afripads in Uganda. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're doing a really great job. I have um, I've also read of I've forgotten their name right now in Kenya as well. Making um, reusable pads from banana leaves.
2: Mm.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. and and all of that. I I think that this. And I also read that, yeah, I think it was Uganda, either Uganda or Kenya, that that the government has actually approved for pads to be distributed in schools.
0: Mm. Which country is this? Which country is doing
1: that? I, I, I can't place it right now, but I think between Uganda and Kenya.
0: Oh, wow. So in East Africa, yes, that's very East progressive. Africa. It's very progressive.
1: And I'm I'm actually looking forward to, to partnering really soon with the Africa. Mm. I've been uh, trying, yeah, trying to reach out to them. There's this competition that my um, organization entered for. I, I think I, sh- I shared with you. Yes, you did. The, yeah, the writing competition. I hope to. If we win, I think the commission has ended and I think we've made it to the top two. I, That's I hope to, yeah, thank you, to ask them to send me pads from the Afri Pad Company instead mm-hmm. of the money reward.
0: Yeah.
1: Just a way to support the project and to build a relationship with them.
0: You know, I'm also um, really curious about activists is there activism around this issue in Nigeria? Well, there is. There is.
1: Um, and, and I think um, still, the, the people who are doing most of this work is still the non-profits, the, the NGOs. They're the ones who are pioneering campaigns and conversations around this topic.
0: Right. So it's still very much... Uh, it's, it's driven by the NGO sector is what you're saying. Basically. Yes. Mm, interesting. Why do you think that is? <laughs> because I mean, it's, it's like a human right, you know, having your period is a, is a human right. So I would it imagine is. there yes. would be, especially, uh, you know, with, within women's rights generally. So I would imagine there would be activism around that. Why do you think that doesn't exist?
1: I just feel like, the, I, I, I don't mean to sound rude, but I feel like the government is being lazy like we're, we're taking the bulk of the work from them. You know, most times they go on to say, government can't do everything for you. But these are basic things that, mm. you know, that, that should be, these are fundamental human rights. Why, why do we have to keep having this conversation over and over again? Mm. I think it's with the government. You know, what can we do? Whatever they decide,
0: we follow. Do you think men should be talking about period poverty? Absolutely.
1: I I do have a couple of males on my team.
0: Yeah.
1: Of course, they've all become period boys.
0: (laughs) Period boys. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm. So
1: yes, I think. The more men we have um, talking about this, the the easier it is to take the stigma away.
0: Hmm. Yeah. From, yes. Okay. And they've they've the these men that you have on your team is did they were they just attracted to the topic? They're passionate about the topic, or how did they get involved?
1: Okay. Um. They are passionate about the topic. There is um, something about being a humanitarian, you know, that that makes you want to actually see the human side of a thing. So it's actually taking up the gender lens to say these people are humans. And I can't even imagine what it's like to bleed every month. So, I mean, they should have access to this. Just like every other person should have the um, the right to live or right to movement, you know, like this is a fundamental human right. My um, my husband, by extension, has actually become part of this project, and of course, he's beginning to see in this life as well. He's part of our campaigns. I have uh, friends like and team members like emanuel Mukoro, who's doing an amazing job. I remember we we did the research together. In fact the whole research, everything, going to the markets, we did all of this together. And I do Mm. know a couple of other um, uh, male friends who are very passionate about this topic. So I guess they're just taking the human side and taking the gender lens away from it. Mm,
0: Interesting. That's really interesting. That's good. So generally, Benny, do you think this is something that you're, you're going to be working on for the long term or do you want to sort of um build this up and then take it all around nigeria i guess i'm trying to get a sense of what are your long-term goals with this project and building it
1: okay because you I, mentioned I that limit- you want to
0: work for the un so is it going to yeah. be something you do until you get that your dream job there or do you want to do both
1: okay um first of all i I see myself doing this Mm long-term and um, I actually look forward to a time where we're going to have our own factory, our own reusable or period product factory where we can produce reusable sanitary pads of high quality, high standard. And then menstrual cups as we grow, but, I don't think that will stop me from, from, from working with the UN. If the opportunity comes, why not? I, I want to be able to build it to a point that even in my absence, things will be working, and then I can do whatever else I want to do alongside. I, I hope you get that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely understand that. So what do you want people to know? our audience who are listening in about period poverty, what should they be doing in where they live in their country, in their city, in their town? How can people get involved? Cause sometimes people want to do things, but they don't know how. Um, sometimes people are kind of scared that if they get into involved in things like this, people might think they're crazy or, you know, there's wherever you, depending on where you live, the situation is different. So how can people get involved in their own locality? How would you okay, suggest um-
1: um. Before I I go on, I just want to make this point. I remember the article I mentioned that I I I, I wrote about a period for a writing competition. A friend of mine commented on the post and said, "Thank you so much for discussing periods like we're discussing ice cream." Mm. Yeah. So this is the 21st century there is the internet there is so much you can do with it so on social media there's so much you can do on your phone simply starting off a conversation about periods with your male classmates or with your even your brothers your father people in your neighborhood that that is enough i mean it's it's a good starting point because the more people we have uh, around us talking about this making them see reasons about why girls should have access to not just period products, but to the right information on menstrual hygiene. So having access to clean water, clean and portable water to toilets, the better. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So starting up conversations around this is enough. If you can take it further to having a community campaign or for, for those who have town hall meetings, having such conversations, That is a good way to start.
0: Yeah.
1: I I believe there is power in numbers.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I guess it's... And, you know, most importantly, these things start at home. At least that's that's how I see it. I think that everything starts at home. So when I meet someone and they're a young woman and, you know, I work in a school with children, young people, 16 to 18 years old, and they're very shy when it comes to periods or they're giggling or the boys are saying really immature things obviously I mean I just in my mind I just think okay you come from a house where these conversations aren't had (laughs) and it's quite obvious so I think the best place to start is in your home with your own children and with your own family and with the, the immediate people around you and maybe if everyone does that, that would have some kind of bigger impact on the wider society. I mean, parents talk to your boys about periods. Why not? You know, talk to your girls about periods. And I think also um, uh, because of this lack of discussion with girls and boys about periods, it it you sometimes situations are very unhygienic. I mean, I've traveled around a lot in different countries and in different places, and I see how women dispose of period products. I see how women sort of their behaviors around their periods, and it's not always hygienic. And again, I think this is because they probably haven't been taught the right thing, you know? So mm-hmm. I think generally we can all do a lot better at educating ourselves. I mean, some some of us don't learn about periods really, really well until we get right into our twenties or thirties when we have kids or when we have problems with our ovaries or uterus and then we have to start going to the doctors and then we start educating ourselves. So I feel like it's just a, a wider problem. Maybe we need more education in schools. Maybe it just needs to be something that we talk about the way we talk about everything else.
1: Yes. Definitely. I agree. Definitely I, I, definitely. I want to add that it will be really important to you know, and um, some time ago we are having a conversation about this and I mentioned how in in schools that um when periods are being taught the teachers make it seem like it's a woman thing so mm. mm-hmm. they, they tend not to let the, i mean it, it should be really awkward to have a boy stand up in a class where a teacher about teacher is talking about periods and saying Ma, i have a question and then the, i'm sure the whole boys will be booing at him and wooing at him like "Ooh, what do you want to know about women and if you're a typical nigerian they could give the tab woman raha. So you want to know about why do you want to know about periods? But like you said, that it's good for us to start in the home. I think the teachers still need to be aware that this is a this is a general thing. Periods yeah. should it's all right for, for boys to get interested in the topic and ask questions.
0: Of course. They're, right here of they're here because of a period. They're here because we have periods. Or actually because <laughs> of an absence of a period. <laughs> <laughs> Which led to their creation. So absolutely.
2: exactly. I always
0: think it's so, it's just, it's kind of hilarious how a lot of boys just don't get that. And a lot of them don't get close to it until they get married and have their own children. And even then, some you find some men like just don't want, they think like that's a woman's thing. I just think that's so ridiculous. I mean, it's changing now. I think modern men are definitely, you know, you have men now that are so clued up about these things, but I think generally a lot of guys, I don't know why it's, it's, it's just so bizarre to me how, how men want to detach themselves from something that brought them into this world. Honestly, (laughs) so bizarre to me, (laughs) but shout out to all the men that, 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 that aren't like that. So that's good too. They are the real deal. Yeah. The real OGs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you're right. You're absolutely right. I think. And and again, I don't think this is just a Nigerian thing. I think wherever we go in the world, we have, unless you're in, you know, schools around the world that are very progressive and that are really um, including these things in their curriculum, you don't really find it because there's a lot of pushback culturally. You know, if you come from a religious country, sometimes these Mm -hmm. things aren't accepted. If you come from a conservative country, there's a lot of cultural barriers, I think like you, like you discussed earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So Benny, what, um, lessons would you like to share with us about your journey of, uh, just building your NGO and, and just life lessons generally that we can learn from you? We're always interested in learning from other people's, uh, experiences as they build their businesses.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to say, dream big. I am a big dreamer.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, I, I believe that, has, that is something that has gotten me this far. Like, um, if someone had um, told me maybe a, a few a few months to my graduation from the School of Pharmacy that I was going to be doing something like this, I probably would have been taken aback but I, mm. I knew I, I wanted something more. I knew I wanted something out of the bus. That I, I didn't just want to be the conventional pharmacist. I knew I, I wanted more out of life. So when I first found out about, about um, community development projects, because actually when I started my NGO, I didn't even know what an NGO meant. Mm. Everything I learned, I learned on the job. Mm. I just, and so the, the more I knew, the more my, the more my dreams became bigger. The Mm. more I knew, the the more my goals and aspirations began to change. Mm. So I think um, the lesson I want everyone to take home today is dream big. It doesn't hurt to dream big. Dreaming bigger than than you will just keep you on your toes to work so hard that you won't even recognize yourself and the speed with which you will go to the point of your dream. Some, some time ago, I I was invited to speak somewhere about the power of dreams. And mm. then, it, yeah, that was uh, about two years ago. for so this uh, women in tech. They are branching, one of their branches in Edo in, State, um, Nigeria. Mm. And then while I was researching for that, for that um, presentation, I found out that the mind is, one of the most, um, the the fastest computer in the world, in the whole world, like your mind works faster than a computer, but the mind has only one limitation. And and the limitation is that the mind does not know the difference with what it thought about and what actually happened. Yeah. So the, the moment you start thinking of that big place or that big dream, if you think about it long enough, yeah, you begin to adjust to leave it because your mind doesn't know the difference between what you thought about and what actually happened.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. The mind is, is very powerful in terms of, uh, really in terms of you can wire your brain. There's all this science around, you know, the neural pathways in the brain and, and all of that stuff. And yeah, it's becoming a bit more popular now. But yep, absolutely. You can trick your brain. It is a thing. It is a thing. And we have a lot of memories stored in our brain from our childhood, from our past, that sometimes that it gets triggered when we have more um, like sort of when we're placed in current experiences that trigger that. And sometimes that hold us back as well. So it's really about training. You can train your brain. Your brain is a muscle just like any other part of your body. So it's possible. But um, yeah. So. Thank you very much, Benny. That was really great, and it was a pleasure so to have you on. You. Yeah, and um, we wish you continued success with your project and working for the UN and everything else. You're, you're very, you're very clear on your goals, which is very inspiring. You know exactly what you want to do, so we we know you're going to get there. Yes,
1: yeah. and then when mm. I get there, I'm going to have a bigger dream.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Well, that's what it's all about. I think. <laughs> You've, it's it's a good idea to keep um, to keep pushing for things. Yeah. Yes, 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 absolutely. Okay, folks. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much again, Benny. It was a real pleasure to have you on. Thank you for giving me some of your time. And until next time, bye for now. Um. Hey there, Rare Ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The RareBirds podcast is available for listen across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.